you you sort of have to trust that the things that you built are going to be safe. Hi, I'm Kate Galliford. And I'm Corbin Gregg, and this is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. In case you missed last episode, Corbin and I are officially taking over as your new Retrospect hosts. Although we're all currently away from campus, we are still thrilled to have this opportunity to speak to and for the Fordham Lincoln Center community. On today's show, we talk with Lorraine Ruiz, the next president of USG. We also speak with Evelyn Sims, who discusses what reasonable expectations are for student performance throughout the pandemic. And finally, Kevin Christopher Robles, who gives us a look back at his time at The Observer and gives his last words to the Retrospect podcast. Joining me now is Laureen Ruiz, Fordham Lincoln Center's next USG president. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Corbin. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited for today. Starting off with your campaign. So you had a huge social media component. The current pandemic made this necessary. But I was wondering if you were already planning on this huge social media presence or if this was an adaptation to the current situation. I'm definitely the kind of person that my friends make fun of because I'm always five years ahead. Um, And I definitely anticipated the possibility of things moving online. And so um, in the weeks leading up to the election, I had already begun thinking about ways to um, really get my social media presence going, uh, whether that meant preparing online campaign materials or um, following lots of accounts of the underclassmen so they could get to know me before the campaign started. Obviously, you already had planned ahead a little bit, but what challenges were there in not having access to the Lincoln Center campus and face-to-face interactions with students on campus? Well, I think um, not having that in-person component means that people can't always judge someone's sincerity. And I think it's really important that somebody makes the effort to genuinely engage with their constituents. And so um, had we been able to campaign on campus, I would have planned to definitely go to a bunch of club events and make sure that the club leaders who didn't know me as well got to know me before my campaign. Obviously, I lost that opportunity. And so um, I tried to make up for that by reaching out to club leaders and letting them know that I was running for president. And I thought that was the next best thing to actually going to club events since we couldn't have them on campus anymore, sadly. Can you speak a little bit to that, the club events that you involved yourself with and the other student leaders that you communicated with? So one of the like linchpins of my campaign was diversity. And so I found that it was really important that I reach out to uh, a lot of the clubs who were focused on diversity, such as BSA or such as APAC or MSA, any of the, the cultural interest clubs. I wanted to let them know that diversity is a priority for me and that I would make sure that they were extra visible if I were to be elected president. I also reached out to some new club leaders because I wanted to make sure that people who were uh, or people in clubs who had just formed um, knew that they had the support of USG going forward. So one of the focuses of your campaign was increased student involvement and student spirit and satisfaction. Now that you're the next USG president, can you share some ways that you're going to make Ford and Lincoln Center feel like a stronger community and that they can rely on USG? Okay, so there are two parts to my answer. I think that for USG to increase school spirit, we have to first foster a sense of spirit, but also um, improve our image as an organization that students can trust and rely on. 
So with regard to maintaining school spirit and fostering that sense of community, I promise to continue Fordham Friday. So obviously, given given our circumstances, I'm not sure if we can have events in the fall. Um, I'll look into seeing what kinds of spirit events we can continue to have, whether in a virtual or in-person capacity. I also wanted to look for student discounts that we might be able to get for local businesses or even larger businesses like Trader Joe's. Um, I think all of those things will help make Fordham a place for props to be, which is a phrase that I like to repeat throughout my campaign. Um, on the administrative side, I've, I've already been in touch with my colleagues at Rose Hill about making a new website for USGLC. Um, Rose Hill has a website that I really like and I wanted to model ours after that because I thought their website looked very professional and it helps students get a good sense of how to reach out to people. And so I've already been taking a, some steps um, as I transition into my new role, but like my priorities right now are to um, focus on like making Fordham a place we're proud to be through student discounts and spirit events, and then also work on the administrative side by tackling the website. In your role as Chair of Student Affairs, you've planned student events and you touted this experience through your campaign. How do you increase attendance to these types of events? What people might not know about my role as Chair of Student Affairs is that I handle a lot of the social media. And so um, I've had a little bit of social media experience and so I think that came in handy with my campaign and will also come in handy during my tenure as president. Um, I think we underestimate the power of social media. Over half of our campus is commuter students. And so that means that a lot of the publicity and a lot of the PR takes place online. And so if we really push like reposting on social media or just posting in general, I think people will get a better sense of what's going on on campus. Um, I, you know, it's so powerful to have your friends help you reach out for things that are going on. And I think the more people know about events, like the more people will come. Um, of course, there's the element of actually caring enough to go in the first place. But I think that improving USG's image is a step towards getting people to care about events that USG is hosting and actually coming. You spoke a little bit to commuter students, and I know during the campaign, you listened to their concerns. Can you think of any other groups on campus that raised concerns during the campaign and how you address those concerns? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, commuter students um, are so important to me. Um, and it was great that a lot of them raised concerns during my campaign. I wanted to show them that I was somebody who can adapt and can listen to um, the concerns of my students and my constituents. I did have a student approach me and they were asking what I would do for LGBTQ students on campus. Uh, I didn't make any explicit mentions of that in my campaign, but my response to that was I had brought up the idea of having a new series of stereotypes focused events in which I wanted to work in collaboration with different departments and diversity clubs on campus to host a series of events talking about stereotypes what they are, how we can deal with them, and what to do about them. And so those stereotypes events were not necessarily meant to be focused just on race, but they could do with also sexual orientation or gender identity as well. And so I really want to tackle all types of diversity in these stereotype events. And so that's one way that I'm going to help out LGBTQ students. The second way was asking each club how they could work to increase diversity, because I think every club can benefit from diversity, even if they're not necessarily a club whose main goal is to foster diversity on campus. You've given a lot of thought to 
your goals, and you've explained that throughout the campaign. One concern that students might have is if the coronavirus pandemic continues into the fall semester. If we don't go back to campus, have you given any thought to how you're going to achieve your goals of increasing student satisfaction, uh, school spirit? So I've definitely thought about this possibility a lot. I think it's there's a very real chance that we might not be able to come back in the fall. And so in that case, um, I think I will have to work with my board to adapt to the goals that I want to accomplish. Like, obviously, there are some things that can't happen, like having Fordham Fridays or maybe having student discounts for local businesses won't be appropriate, considering that a lot of them are under financial strain right now. So given those possible circumstances, um, I think we have to get creative and think about different ways we can get students engaged. There are lots of ways to hold spirit events like from a remote capacity. And there are still things that we can work on like making a new website or making sure to have prompt email responses or um, working on online textbook options for commuters and um, things like that. I think it's a question of adapting and also prioritizing which goals are most possible given the circumstances. So, Obviously, it's a strange transition period given everything that's going on. The transition period probably is never easy at the end of semester with finals and everything that's happening. So how are you currently working through this end of semester transition period to prepare yourself for taking care of student needs? I think I have to take things one step at a time. Um, Certainly in my transition to my new role, um, given the situation of COVID-19, there are new challenges that I'll have to adapt to. Right now, I've started off by reaching out to all my new board members and senators. Like, I want to make sure that uh, we know each other, not just professionally, but also personally. And so that means come fall, like, we'll all know each other and be ready to work together. Like I said, I've also reached out to my colleagues at Rose Hill. Um, I'm just getting the ball rolling in small ways, getting my, my face out there, my voice out there for policies that I care about. And so by the time fall rolls around, I'll already have gotten started on the things that I care about most, and so it won't be as overwhelming. What final thoughts do you want to share with the Lincoln Center community as we head into finals, the summer, and next semester? Now that we are all apart from each other, it can be so easy to feel isolated um, from our community, from our peers, from people we love. Um, I want them to know that USG is there for them as a voice, Um, And as a listening ear or a shoulder to cry on, um, please feel free to reach out to us or to me um, if there's anything that you want to raise or want to work on, um, and we'll be there to listen for you. But everybody, please have best of luck with finals. Have a great summer and feel free to reach out. Laureen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Good luck on your expanding role on campus. And I hope that we all come back in the fall and you can fully take up the mantle of USG president. Thanks so much for having me, Corbin, and I'm excited to see what we can accomplish this year. Joining us now to discuss her latest piece for the opinion section is staff writer for The Observer and member of the copy editing team, Evelyn Sims. Evelyn, thanks so much for once again joining us on The Retrospect. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So in your article, you talk about how expectations for students working from home are unreasonable. Specifically, you talk about the emotional stress of doing coursework while a pandemic is going on all around us. Can you speak a bit to your experience as a student working from home? 
Yes, I find it really difficult to stay focused when I know so many people are suffering immensely from this. And even just in my town, the death rate is just constantly doubling as the days go on. So I find it really difficult to see the full value in my schoolwork when so much is happening around me. And a line from your article that really stuck out to me was, over the course of our short lives, Gen Z has become the thoughts and prayers generation. What do you mean by that? And how does it relate specifically to the pandemic? Yes, so Gen Z, we we don't really remember 9-11, but we know the effects of it. And throughout the course of our lives, we've just been exposed to so many terrorist attacks, natural disasters, and then the really prevalent one is school shootings. And throughout all of that, we never really got a resolution. And I feel like Gen Z is really has suffered because of that. And now that the coronavirus has hit, we're still expected to function normally as if it were just another event we've experienced. And I feel like that's just so crazy considering the world has literally stopped around us and the excuse for every other disaster was, oh, the world doesn't stop. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way in the experience shared by millennials and Gen Z of growing up with disaster and how do you deal with that? And then sort of in the same vein, there's a phenomenon I also wanted to talk about. And again, I think our generation meaning Gen Z as well as millennials hear a lot about self-care. And now specifically, it's quarantine self-care. In your piece, you link to an article that gives tips on how to take care of your physical appearance while in quarantine in order to keep your spirits up. But you argue that this method of self-care isn't an effective way to maintain your emotional and mental health. What do you think self-care should look like for students in quarantine? And how could Fordham be doing a better job of helping their students look after themselves? I feel like the root of self-care that is really going to benefit you is alleviating the stress you are put under, particularly with students. The expectation that we're supposed to just perform as nothing is really happening and and the university never really set any standards for professors regarding what they should be assigning, how much work we have, and how they are grading. I feel like you can't really tell students to take care of themselves when you are not providing an opportunity for students to do that. And especially since Fordham is all about care of personalis and care for the whole person, I don't really feel like I'm being cared for as a person when there's just no clear standard about the workload we have. And I think a part of that is kind of the way that we're being encouraged to keep a sense of normality, but the fact that our normal has just completely changed. And so I think people are definitely struggling to adjust to that and kind of keep up with what it means to live during a pandemic and work as a student. So this semester is coming to a close soon, but there's a lot of uncertainty about the upcoming fall semester and whether we'll be able to return to campus. Although I'm sure we all hope otherwise, if that is the case, What specific recommendations do you have for Fordham faculty and professors to help alleviate the pressure put on students doing class online? I definitely think they're going to have to take it pretty slow and not demand as much out of us, especially when it comes to students taking foreign language. Um, Because it's, there's just so much we're kind of behind on. And 
I mean, we've had resources the entire time to do our assignments and to do our exams. I feel like the standards have been so different that they really need to have a smooth transition into that. And I definitely think the university has to take measures and kind of have policies for professors to ease students in and not put a whole bunch of pressure on us all at once. And then are there some ways that you feel the university, including people higher up in the administration and faculty, and then also Fordham students, just kind of as a community, what they're doing right to look after the health of their students? I feel like Fordham definitely did a good job of getting us out at like a really good time. I know a lot of other universities wait a little bit longer, and I feel like since we were kind of in the epicenter, it was smarter of them to get on it quick. And also I feel like that Fordham is really doing a good job of keeping up with academics, even though it is overwhelming. I've heard a lot of stories from, you know, friends who have friends who don't have any online classes at all, and it's just straight assignments posted online, which I think is even more of a problem than, you know, the stress we have. So I feel like Fordham is definitely kept up on classwork and held professors accountable to a certain extent. And I really just appreciate that considering we are like paying tuition still. So I feel like the quality hasn't really dropped. Is there anything else you want to speak to about your article or some of the arguments that you're making in it? to encourage the Fordham community to rethink their expectations for us and make specific steps to help alleviate the emotional distress we're under? Yes, I think Fordham really needs to look at Gen Z as a whole and look at our generation and really consider how young we are and how much loss we've seen in the world and really take that into account and forming actual standards and getting professors on the same page about what they can assign and how they're grading and just giving us a little bit of a break when it's such a crazy and different time for us. I was really compelled by your article. I really could relate to it, what you talked about being a college student, but also having grown up in this sort of atmosphere of constant crisis and not knowing how to adapt to that. So I think this conversation is so relevant to the lives of everyone at Fordham and for college students across the nation, really. So thank you so much for joining me today, Evelyn. It was really great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. And joining us now is our very own Kevin Christopher Robles, the creator and now former host of Retrospect. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very happy to be here. So Kevin, Retrospect first aired in October 2018. What was the inspiration and process behind starting the podcast with Jeff Umbrell? It was sort of a collaborative process with the editor-in-chief at the time, Colin Sheely. We'd sort of been looking at what larger news corporations were doing with their multimedia content. And something that pretty much everyone started doing around that time were podcasts. In particular, you know, the New York Times started The Daily, which is a podcast that I still listen to and that tons of people listen to and sort of brought like a new light to news podcasts. And that was sort of the inspiration for where we were going to go with a potential podcast at the time. And so that process started, I think, at the end of the spring semester of 2018 and then came to fruition in October that same year with that very first episode where we interviewed 
Demetrius Stratus and did a taste test between Whole Foods and Western beef. And Kevin, you've been hosting Retrospect since it first began, um, firstly with Jeff and then by yourself after Jeff graduated. And since you've covered all manner of stories, do you have a favorite episode or interview that you did for Retrospect? So I figured you were going to ask that question. And the thing is, it's kind of impossible to answer it. There, there are a lot of, obviously, there are a lot of emotions and and personal anecdotes that are connected to episodes that may not necessarily be present in the episodes themselves, just sort of in the behind the scenes and the making of, right? I think probably, though, my favorite the whole way through was the interview with Dean Mary Bly when we interviewed her about Moonlighting as a Romance Novelist. Just the entire odd process of finding that out, thinking, well, this is sort of very interesting and I hope more people will learn about this. Um, And then actually sending that email out and thinking, well, you know, she's been interviewed by People Magazine. She's been in like the New York Times. Is she even going to respond to like an inquiry from like a student newspaper? And thankfully she did. And then she came down to the office and then we just talked for like 15 to 20 minutes about the fact that she writes uh, very, very strange historical romance novels. And it was just the most bizarre and interesting thing I think we've done on the podcast. So during the past few weeks in this past semester, Retrospect has changed from airing once every other week to once weekly. What are some other ways that Retrospect has evolved over time? Well, when we were first starting out, the format really hadn't been set yet. So if you look at episodes that were coming out during that first semester that we were doing it in the fall of 2018, Jeff and I were sort of just making it up as we went along. That actually became really useful, though, because it helped us solidify what worked and what didn't. So, for instance, we got a lot of feedback on that first episode from pretty much everybody about the fact that, well, is it really a good idea to do a taste test in an audio-only format? So we refrain from doing things that can't be experienced by listening to it. Other than that, though, I I feel like once we got our sound equipment ready in the semester after that and then ended up having a long discussion about what we wanted format-wise for the podcast, because... Things were sort of hazy from a production perspective as well, which meant that a lot of the time people didn't really know what to expect going into the podcast, interviewees, I mean. So that that meant sort of making sure that we had a stable format to ensure that we, you know, didn't just sort of blindside everyone who's coming on. So what ended up happening is we settled on the biweekly three-segment format, which worked out really well. Uh, and which necessitated sort of the introduction of the producer in the first place. The producer role didn't exist in that first semester, but um, when Alyssa took it on in the spring of 2019, that was when things started to go much more steadily for retrospect. It became more of an institution in the Observer. Um, I remember that Jeff mentioned at the end of the year to me that he expected retrospect to last maybe three episodes, and then it lasted you know, the whole way through that year and then through now and with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a big part of why the retrospect has been so successful and exists today for us to take over is because it has evolved as you've seen fit. And retrospect has always been pitched as an experimental show. Its very creation was an experiment for the Observer. I know that Corbin, our producer Jackie and I, have talked a lot about experimentation and taking the podcast in new directions. 
what's one thing you wanted to try with the podcast but didn't get a chance to? Well, there, there were a lot of things that we wanted to do that we never got the chance to do. So we wanted sort of, at the beginning, an expansion of, you know, the, the, sort, the sort of content that you'd see on like This American Life um, that NPR would put out. Uh, and that would essentially be like really long form, in-depth, documentary style podcasts. And that was sort of our high hopes, you know, for it. Like if this thing really took off and it became easy to produce, then we would do that. Uh, we ran into a lot of logistical issues, though, um, just because we didn't have the equipment, we didn't have the time, we were juggling classes, our regular dues with The Observer and the podcast at the same time. Uh, and it was just too much. It was a lot of work. Um, and it wasn't tenable on the student schedule. And, and this is partly why Retrospect Host ended up becoming an individual position is so that we would have people who would focus entirely on the podcast. So one of the initiatives that we wanted to do but never actually got around to doing was to do this sort of summer project, this big summer project where we would cover one topic from a lot of different angles. But that never really ended up panning out because, you know, back then we didn't have Zoom and we didn't have the equipment that we needed to uh, to run it from our, like a remote perspective. And, you know, like one sort of unintentional benefit of having access to Zoom is that we get to do our interviews a lot easier. And I think, you know, because everyone is at home, that means that uh, people are less busy and people can do more things. You know, that wasn't the case last year, so that never ended up happening. So, Kevin, you've been involved in The Observer and have carried on Retrospect for the past few years. What are you going to miss most about hosting Retrospect and The Observer? I mean, that's a very complicated question. I, I, I first joined The Observer in September of 2017. It was at the beginning of my sophomore year. Um, I wanted to get involved in my freshman year, but I never got around to doing it. The Observer, I think, for a lot of us is that place where we go to automatically. And it was crazy because the Observer sort of becomes your life if you're like an editor. Like it, it's inevitable, it, it dominates what you do and it shapes entirely how you view the student body and how you view things that are happening on campus. Things that you wouldn't normally pay attention to, you end up paying attention to because you're on the Observer and you're always looking for something that you can cover or that you can give to the paper and, and provide other people with, with sort of knowledge about, you know, things that maybe other people wouldn't know about. It was a really frantic time being a part of The Observer, um, and, and frantic in a good way because it, it really, like, honed my journalistic skills. So if, if I were to say, like, like, what would I miss the most about Retrospect and The Observer? It's, it's sort of like existing in a space that was so comfortable that you could both learn and really enjoy yourself at the same time. I think um, The Observer is basically like the perfect training ground for any aspiring journalist in college. And everyone was just so always into the work. You know, there, there wasn't ever a person who didn't want to be there or didn't believe in the things that we were doing. And there was a lot of camaraderie and, and spirit and friendliness that I think, you know, a lot of Fordham Lincoln Center students wouldn't necessarily, you know, be familiar with just because I think our campus is sort of infamously very bad at the whole school spirit thing. And it's always been my belief that you have to sort of go out there and sort of seek out the place where you belong on campus. Uh, and for me, that was definitely the observer. The observer is sort of the centerpiece 
of my college career and I really wouldn't have it any other way. So just kind of in closing, Kevin, I think it's undeniable just how much of the credit for creating and expanding retrospect is owed to you. I know these circumstances aren't ideal for any senior, but in particular, I'm sure it's difficult for you to say goodbye to the podcast. Are there any final thoughts you have for the retrospect audience? I really wasn't expecting to get as emotional as I did over leaving retrospect. Things had sort of been winding down for me at the Observer anyway, just because, uh, you know, it it was senior year and typically people don't stick around at the Observer for senior year, you know, there's, there's a general trend of staying with the Observer for three years and then, and then leaving. And for me, you know, I I was nearing the end of that, of that phase. Um, And a lot of the other seniors were also sort of, they were starting to get on with their careers and sort of move on to, to new things. So I was sort of like prepping myself for that. Not to say that I didn't do a lot of work for the Observer in senior year, because obviously I maintained the podcast the entire time, but you know, there, there was a sort of the sense of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let go of this in college at the same time. Uh, and then we're just going to go out into the real world and that's going to be it. Um, and, you know, I'm just going to go and then I'm going to get a job and you're just going to go and work. And, and we're not really going to think about college except as, you know, that fun thing that you did for four years that helped you get that job in the first place. Um, but that really wasn't what ended up happening. And, I think a lot of it is, you know, once again, ironically, because of the pandemic, like you didn't, you don't really realize how much you're going to miss the place until you have it taken away from you uh, in a sort of unfair way. Right. Cause I was, I was getting ready to really say goodbye in a definitive way. I, I wasn't really planning on being as emotional as I was. Um, and then observer elections happened and then we were handing you know, handing off our positions to new people. And it, it wasn't in the way that we usually did it, you know. Um, and we ended up talking about it a whole lot more than, than uh, we normally do. So what ended up happening is you, you sort of have to trust that the things that you built are going to be safe and that they're going to be in good hands. Uh, and thankfully, I think I do have that with you guys. So if I if I can just say one thing about that, I think that you guys are 100% so ready to take over the podcast from me and I'm so happy that it was the both of you and Jackie and that, you know, I can really trust that retrospect will flourish in the future. You know, I I've, I've sort of sat in on the meetings uh, that you guys have had and I'm it it was weird getting teary-eyed at the notion that someone was saying the word retrospect and saying, you know, this is what we're going to do in the future. There was something really strange about the fact that something that I started um, was being carried on by other people, by new people, by people who weren't really around when retrospect started to begin with. Yeah, that felt odd for sure. But it, it was also sort of like a happy strangeness. I don't have any regrets coming off of uh, leaving the Observer and retrospect. Uh, But I think I'll just end with this, which is the Observer is something that is a really beautiful thing on campus and Fordham really wouldn't be the same without it. And I was just happy enough that I got to put a little piece of myself into it and sort of have a bit of my own legacy there. And that really, uh, more than anything, is a source of pride for me. Well, 
I think I can speak for all of us when we say thank you for believing in us to take on your show. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the show. We're excited to carry on what you've built here and hope you're proud of what you created. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Um, And we're certainly all going to miss you here in retrospect. This has been Retrospect with your new hosts, Kate Galliford and Corbin Gregg. A very special thanks to our guests, Laureen Ruiz, Evelyn Sims, and of course, Kevin Christopher Robles for coming on the show. Retrospect is produced by Jacqueline Pierce. Music by Michael Appler and Jeff Umbrell. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.